welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast. For 20 minutes or so, uh, the pair of us here will be giving you our thoughts on important matters at the moment in the world of hotel investment around the globe. Uh, my name is Chris Bowne. I'm the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm also joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. Uh, and as ever, if you subscribe to Hotel Analyst, you'll read in much more detail about the topics we're currently going to cover. And we're going to start with this week with signs, increasing signs, it seems, that uh, things in the world of travel and tourism are heading back towards normal. They're far from back to 2019 yet, but there's a succession of, uh, of dominoes that appear to be tumbling and um, they're all kind of moving in a positive direction. We've got uh, Australia and New Zealand finally realising that their King Canute-like stance uh, of isolating themselves from the rest of the world to stop COVID uh, is not going to work and they are actually going to have to start opening up. I mean, thank thankfully, they're also vaccinating their populations as well, finally. Um, so good news there. Uh, the, the airlines are actually putting some uh, rotors together for some international flights. We also had uh, promising signs on the all-important transatlantic route between um, Europe, UK and, uh, and American cities, which suggests things are going to start moving there as well. The Irish have cancelled their hotel quarantine system, which I think suggests that uh, the Brits will be not far behind. Um, and then elsewhere, we've got uh, work in uh, in Asia. The Philippines are trying to uh, emulate what's happened uh, in, in Phuket in Thailand, where they've, they're working to uh, vaccinate all of their staff on some of their island destinations so that they can um, they can really restart their their tourism business so positive signs mostly all around i think yes um president joe biden coined the term normalcy and i think that's appropriate rather than a return to normal i think it's going to be a return to normalcy which is a sort of variant on normal um <laughs> and we are getting there that the path back is going to be exceptionally uh, bumpy however now um i think you did a great roundup of the 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 usual uh, kind of areas chris in terms of hotels um i took a look at uh, iata the airline body um mm -hmm. what they were thinking um because obviously the travel recovery is critical if you're going to be looking to to fill hotel beds and um what they're saying domestic is back to sort of something like that they, they talk about revenue um passenger kilometers and that's back at 93 percent of 2019 levels next year for domestic uh airline travel um i are to reckon international looks much gloomier at just 40 percent so less than half of where we were in 2019 um so that's pretty grim um they're thinking the europe north america piece is going to come back better 65 percent um asia europe however still down at 23 percent and that i think reflects the difficulties we're seeing in in asia right now in terms of the zero covid strategies haven't worked out that well and are going to extend what has been uh, already um a very long period i mean it's going to be at least a couple of years before we get back to a proper sense of recovery where we've got a full end of restrictions and i think we can see the end of those restrictions in europe we can see the end of those restrictions in america um towards the end of this year and at the latest early next year um in asia 
possibly even is going to be significantly into uh, um, next year, I think, before we, we actually see them. So, um, so it, it's patchy, it's going to be bumpy. Uh, we're, and I remain still quite bullish about it. I think it's going to be better than um, many are forecasting. Mm. Um, well, the World, but, the World Travel and Tourism Council has just come out with a, a study they've done, and they reckon by 2022, the uh, the sector as a whole could be could be employing more people than it did in 2019. Um, yeah. So you're yeah, really quite, no, exactly. quite, quite positive. No, no. I mean, I mean, one of the the more positive things on a, on a sort of gloomy slide deck um, from IATA was uh, the fact that uh, air, aircraft deliveries are this year will be at the same level they were in 2019 so at least the infrastructure is going to be there <laughs> now we're possibly going to see an accelerated retirement of some aircraft um but by and large i think we're going to have you know the, the the means to get back um pretty quickly um it, it providing we you know we see an end to those um um, controls and I think that pendulum is finally swinging so for a long while you know it's all very well campaigning against lockdowns etc but when you've got a situation where say two-thirds of the population are actually in favor of them it's going to take a very brave government indeed to say no we're not going to be doing them um, we're now seeing where most people are getting completely fed up with it mm. um, and IATA did their own survey um, and they're now got to the point where two-thirds of their respondents are saying they want to see all um, borders opened up mm -hmm. um, which is encouraging you know and this is up 12 points has gone from um, sort of half of respondents to two-thirds of respondents wanting a, a full opening up they've obviously got a relatively biased sample I would suggest but uh, nonetheless I think there is this sense that we're you know we're heading towards the end of this 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 difficult period and we, we're, we're going to start getting into a into a, a proper recovery because I, I mean although we, we keep talking about recovery we keep talking about oh we've we've seen an uptick here an uptick there that's but they're still under this very constrained environment and we can't really talk about a proper recovery we won't really know what the proper recovery is going to look like until we end these restrictions sure sure and uh, yeah the, the kind of view that uh, people are fed up and and you know let's get over it and get back to normal uh, i would uh, I'd, i'll give you a little kind of a, a vox pop from here in in wales where in contrast to the rest of uh, to, to england we are still required to wear masks if we're going into any shops um in england that whole requirement was cancelled what a month or more ago um mm. but uh, you're seeing the adherence to the what well, is still a legal requirement uh, I would say is down now at about 75 to 80 percent in uh, in a major, major supermarkets I've been to in and around Cardiff in the last week or two. People are you know people don't see any sense in these rules anymore. And uh, interestingly, the uh, the staff in the shops are not bothering to try and enforce them either. So can we have some more normal, yeah. please? Yeah. 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 Normalcy is heading our way. <laughs> Now, next we're going to talk about a little bit of innovation. We've seen quite a lot of innovation coming into the sector, some of it necessary, some of it uh, inspired by months of, of staring at balance sheets and wondering how the hell are we going to turn this thing around. Um, we've seen a, a fair, fair deal of, of things happening that perhaps would have otherwise taken five or ten years. We've had a look this week at a couple of... Uh, new tech travel startups uh, they, they seem to be quite happily tapping markets and finding backers to uh, accelerate their growth um, one of the more interesting ones is uh, 
a, a platform called Spot Nana, or perhaps you say Spot Nana. I'm not sure, um, but that's coming through to um, uh, looking at, at uh, looking very different connotations to how you pronounce <laughs> it. <laughs> it's nothing to do with old folk, particularly. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, the, the point, the important point that, that this particular startup is making is that they still see this is this has been set up by some seasoned travel folk, not some bright young upstarts, and they still see a, kind of the world of travel booking and organizing travel is essentially a broken space where there's a, a lot of work to do in, in just making it a much more seamless experience and they, they see a big opportunity there. Um, and then another um, outfit that uh, calls itself a uh, travel tech business and uh, has, has, has gathered a, a decent amount of uh, extra cash in uh, recently is uh, a company called uh, Blue Ground. Um, they are essentially look like they are uh, service accommodation providers, but um, they've attracted uh, money from, amongst others, Geolo Capital, the Pritzker family investment vehicle, and um, they look to be, well, I would argue less of a less of a tech business, uh, more of a uh, real estate uh, business. Um, but uh, discuss <laughs> tech washing, I guess you. Oh yes, maybe. That yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, and I bet they all describe themselves as disruptors and they're going to change the industry for better. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Um, uh, now, uh, to be fair, what's going on here? I mean, we have had the mother of all disruptive events. Um, just to refer back to our last story, um, in terms of IATA gave some numbers showing just how bad it is. So, all if you look at all past dis recent disruptions in 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 the airline business so whether it's SARS whether it's uh, um, the global financial crisis whether it's the 91 economic recession or any of any of this stuff 9-11 um, the worst um, hit was about 20% of those RPKs the revenue passenger kilometers um, this time around we've had sort of about 90 percent thanks to the lockdowns in in covid so we, we have had the mother of all uh reset you know downturns in in the sector and that creates huge opportunity and the the, the general consensus is i mean as we keep saying it's been a accelerant rather than an agent of change um and it's brought forward five or 10 years things which um were happening anyway um and this actually what this creates um when you have this accelerated period of change is an ideal environment for startups um because the, the incumbents um by the nature tend to be much slower beasts and when you've got these nimble well-financed um upstarts floating around it's a they've got a huge opportunity to get in there and um create a bit of disruption mm. um and i think we are going to see that uh, more so than any other point i've ever since i've ever been reporting on the sector for the last 30 years or so um i think we're going to see that disruption now um we'd see those opportunities arise um thanks to the disruption we've had um and it's going to it, 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 we are going to see very very significant change i think over these next few years um and it's a very exciting period now whether it's going to be spot nana spot nana um whether it's going to be blue ground i think you're probably right in your analysis of them gris um um so no um so uh, but there the will be people 
um, who are setting up companies now who are going to be household names in the next few years and billionaires to boot. Well, and good luck to them. Right. And uh, next, we're going to talk about what's going on in the German market. We've had a real look at uh, Germany. Uh, it's uh, coming back nicely. Uh, it's probably in in recovery pace, a little bit behind the UK, which itself is a little bit behind um, the American market. Um, there were restrictions in uh, the German market, COVID-related restrictions, um, perhaps a little later. Uh, into the summer but since then um, things have bolted back quite nicely and um, demand is picking up strongly uh, certainly on the operational side uh, in um, so in the tourist markets the big sort of cities which are strong on tourism like Berlin and, and also the the coastal markets where uh, the staycation demand has been strong through the summer uh, but also looking strong uh, is is investor uh, appetite for for sites in Germany and um, an interesting new association uh, revealed in the last few weeks. Uh, we've had uh, Schroeder's Capital buying a big building in the middle of Berlin and uh, doing a back-to-back -back lease deal with Whitbread to uh, give them their largest Premier Inn in Berlin yet. So this is going to be a 403-room flagship. Um, they are basically rebranding two former intercontinental hotels uh, uh, to, to create this one big beast um, but uh, I spoke with the guys at Schroeder's Capital and um, they seem very keen on what Whitbread's doing and um, I think are liking to think that they would this this would perhaps be the first of potentially several deals they may do in Germany where they can pick up uh, assets um, from buyers who are perhaps in a slightly distressed state and um, refit the building and do a deal with uh, Whitbread who obviously are very keen to make hay in the market at the moment they're keen to get into Germany big time and they are uh, looking to be quite uh, aggressive in terms of doing deals and this whole uh, particular asset flip was uh, was conducted in just five weeks so um, Schroeder's each equally have got cash on hand from investors in various funds to uh, to buy and and make decisions very quickly so um, all starting to look quite positive in uh, in Germany uh, despite kind of issues around uh, the fact that there is in some city markets quite a large pipeline to come through yet uh, of, of buildings that are either in uh, development or in planning. Yeah that supply bump is certainly something to watch in the short term but I think for Whitbread in particular this is not a short term um, plan they have um we're talking multiple years um i mean they're probably not looking to to enter into real profitability for a number of years yet um and whitbread have actually in historically shown a willingness to pursue things um, um for the the medium to long term at the expense of the short term so uh any uh, of our um more experienced uh, listeners to this podcast will remember the period when uh, Whitbread only charged one price for their rooms regardless of where they were there was just a flat rate um, and they stuck with that flat rate um, long after all the analysts were banging on the table saying look well, you know why don't you have some sort of dynamic pricing in fact it was only you know when Alan Parker uh, departed the scene as CEO to be replaced by Andy Harrison did we start seeing dynamic pricing being brought in um, in a meaningful way um, just just over 10 years ago in 2010 um, 
and you know the reason they had that that you know parker and i think actually in hindsight it's probably been proved correct he needed to establish the brand and establish its presence in the market that was his priority and i think they're going to do the same thing in germany they're establishing the brand they're going to establish the present uh, the presence um and and that they're, they're they're going to stick with their direct distribution model now quite extraordinarily um 99 of their rooms are sold direct i mean it's quite an incredible <laughs> number um and that is a unique model um thanks to them owning the distribution owning the brand doing the operations and controlling the property either through direct ownership which is um, well as at april it was 61 percent or leased which is the other 39 percent that's how whitbread has that control and ability to do that and i think what's interesting um in the german market um they are able to go in there and take on those leases which their global major hotel uh brand rivals aren't going to be able mm. to do so if you're an Accor if you're a Hilton you're a Marriott um, or an IHG um, you, you're going to say no thanks to these uh, um, well, you, you, have to find, you have to find an operating partner don't you who's sort of a, ger a German German you management can, company but, but most of those have had a dreadful yeah. pandemic they're in no position to sign uh, new lease commitments and, and also if you're the owner you're um the investor in that property you know who do you want standing behind it somebody with the um strength of whitbread or one of these third party players so it just doesn't the covenant just is nowhere near the, the strength there so i think you know whitbread are in in really in a very strong position to deliver on this if if you know it if mm -hmm. they can um so it's the, the challenge is going to be um you know you're going to have this short-term supply bump you're going to have um other people you know accor in particular as the current market leader in germany they're going to be fighting a very strong rearguard action but whitbread i think have things on their side that they can win in this market which will be a very give them a very interesting position they, they'll dominate um the uk hotel market and then they'll end up being the, the dominant force in the german hotel market so it's it's an ex, you know it, it's going to be a very um interesting one to watch but as i say it's going to be you know we, we've got an update from whitbread um the end of this month but it's you know that's their six month lease but it's going to be six years plus before we actually get to see what's what's you know happening well here, and interesting that they they also are making noises about other European markets. Uh, Mark Anderson, one of the directors who was interviewed recently by another publication, let slip that if, if they were offered a portfolio that happened to have some hotels that were also in Italy or Poland, they'd be quite interested in taking it on. So, um, mm. Yeah, why not? They, they can now. Um, I think they've got to be careful with that. Uh, they need to keep focus. I mean, I think Northern Europe would be um, where they ought to stick at it. Um, so, you know, could move into the Scandinavian market as mm -hmm. a possibility. Uh, a link with Scandic is a, is an obvious, <laughs> <laughs> an obvious yeah. play, I think. But uh, um, um, I think Webber have resisted that because I mean they'll take on that Scandic portfolio, and then they've got to deal with the the tricky thing of having um, 
distribution which is done by mm. third parties and that's just not how they're doing it and you know even though it's tougher for them in the mm. short term um, um, and they're not going to be you know they're going to lose money because they're not able to to get the punters in as well as you would be able to if you were using a uh, one of the third party distributors an Expedia or a booking um, they'll stick with it to, to ensure that their uh, um, um, distribution policy is, is is remains as robust and um, strong as it as it is yeah, in the UK. Absolutely. Now then, let's get to our awards this week. Uh, Andrew, uh, you are going to be giving five stars to. You, you did a piece this week, Chris. The, the story we haven't really talked about on the podcast, but um, about o, OTAs hitting mm. the reset button, and um, a pretty good news, I think, the, the the noise coming from them in terms of the recovery. They're very bullish on that, and they they, they see it coming back. So I think it's definitely a five stars for optimism from them, and I hope that, that that's proved mm. right, actually. And now, uh, soapbox uh, pulled out. No stars for um, a a glorious track and trace system in the UK. So, have you um, been away on a trip? I I came back. (laughs) I have been away. Um, I went to the Arabian Hotel Investment Conference in Dubai, and uh, I got sent an email, and it was addressed to my first name and my middle name. Um, And I thought, hang on, this looks a bit dodgy. What is this about? And it it was purporting to be track and trace. But this, I don't know about your inbox, Chris, but I get about half a dozen dodgy COVID-related emails every day uh, popping in. So I looked at this, thought, "Mm, this doesn't look right. I did actually click on it just to see Mm. what happened. And it took me through. And it didn't pre-populate any of the fields. And it was asking me for (laughs) confidential information, like my (laughs) NHS number and stuff. Yeah, well, not yeah um and i thought i don't like the look of this i'm just going to ignore it um and i got the phone call the next day um and a charming um woman um on the phone absolutely no fault um at her end um for her personally and her customer um uh manner um but oh my goodness what a dreadful dreadful service it is they just can't um she couldn't tell me where I, where it was that i was supposed to have been where um i got exposure um and she said oh it looks like um it could be could have been an airline um well okay well that's great but but then you know it's an amber country i came back from i had took a pcr test on well it was actually day three i took it because i um <laughs> uh, forgot on day two um um, but I took the test. I was a good citizen. Um, popped it in the box um, and got my result back negative. But um, you know, so the, the advice was, oh, you need to isolate and then and have a PCR test. Well, I've just had a PCR test. Oh yeah, I see. I oh, don't really know then. <laughs> um, was the kind of response, and it was just a bit. Oh, it's just chaotic, really. I mean, what's the point of it? Why are we wasting this money on this? Um, you know, I, we're not big fans of the. VAT cut for hospitality but you know I, I, to be honest I'd rather see the government spend the money on that than on this nonsense of a test and trace um, outfit which just is not fit for purpose. Thank you very much well uh, it's interesting you say that about getting the uh, getting Covid scam emails I, I've survived so far without seeing any of those so that's quite handy yeah but then I've not I been on a foreign trip. It's me. Oh. 
No, I was going to stop, and they're not connected to that. They they they're just oh. general scam related right. stuff. So well, I'm, not, maybe I'm, I'm going to keep my head down. <laughs> and on that note, we'll say bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>